Before we get started, this was an episode that uh, had some technical difficulties, and my workaround was to essentially re-record my side of the audio, so it's going to sound perhaps a little differently than it normally does, and it's been condensed to cut out uh, any of the other technical issues. Later in the podcast, uh, Roger's side of the conversation gets a little choppy, but it clears up, so just want to give you a heads up on that. And this was also recorded before the trade deadline, and we're going to have a new episode coming up next week already with a special guest, uh, and you'll want to check online to see who it's going to be. We want you to send in questions, and we'll make the announcement on Sunday so you can get those questions in. We record the next episode Monday night. And now, without further ado, here's the newest episode of... Welcome to episode three of the Untitled Prospect Podcast <laughs> with Roger. It is just never going to have a title. It may not. This, this poor unloved. The Jellycast? I like it. The first few minutes of every show is just us throwing out potential titles. <laughs> can't, can't touch this jelly. There we go. Green jelly instead of green jello. Remember that? <laughs> the kids out there have no idea what we're talking about. We, 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 yes, we're, we're not getting better here. <laughs> okay, so the Giants have a farm system and we're going to talk about it. There was a great suggestion posed that maybe we shouldn't focus on just the headliners, uh, but we're going to focus on the headliners this week because. It's something that's important. The Giants, for the first time in I don't know how long, have four players uh, on Baseball America's Top 100. But the suggestion that we dive a little bit deeper into the program, into the system, that's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye on and keep in mind as we go forward. But anyway, look, Elliot Ramos, Marco Luciano, Joey Bart, and Hunter Bishop, look, those are f- those are the four guys who are on the list. They're all really good. The, the Giants have four great players who consensus industry-wide people love. That's true. And there are still others we could talk about. We, we love the deep dive. And we will get there at some point. We hear you for sure. Uh, it was a good suggestion. I'm just not, uh, we're not doing that this week. <laughs> we may not next week, I don't know. But we will do it. Uh, but again, the big news, top 100, we've got Bart, Ramos, Luciano, and Bishop. Yeah, um, I mean there were there were a lot of good things. There are a lot of good things to say about what is going on in the system. Um, so one thing that we we talked about was, in addition to BA's ranking c- coming out, uh, Fangraphs today just put up their latest farm rankings, and I think they had the Giants like nineteen or twenty. But what's really interesting about Fangraphs is they have this this uh, sort of quantifiable methodology they do that they put a a dollar a, a dollar figure on every sort of scouting grade so that every player who's a 40 future value has a certain surplus value graded into you know what their value is going to be long term over the next nine years and they do this for everybody in the system and then they actually create the rankings based on that um sort of objective dollar surplus dollar value and this is all kind of informed by Kylie McDaniel's time with the Braves so you, even though 
this may not be the only way to do that valuation. It's illustrative of how front offices are doing this, that they actually are calculating value baked in. And if you look at that Fangraphs ranking, what you'll see is, yeah, there's a lot of sort of the Giants are getting these really good young players with good future value, but there's like, I think 30 or 35 people listed on the Fangraphs list while the, you know, the, the Rays and the Braves, uh, the Padres, those kind of people have like 60 or 70 players who are listed to the 35 plus future value mark. So they're getting a good group of young players who are really valuable there's still a kind of lack of depth. And then the other thing that is slightly gives them a little bit of a hit is that most of their really good talent is still in short season ball. So it's still a long way away, which gives you, you know, greater risk that the development won't hit right. Um, a lot of things can go wrong. So good things happening. It's still kind of a long way away and there's still a little bit of a lack of depth, but you know, we can focus on the good things happening because we shouldn't, you know, dismiss that part. As great as all this has been, I mean, I guess one thing to keep in mind, I guess, all this talent's at the lower levels. You know, we're talking about A-ball, basically, maybe double-A uh, in some other cases. But in, in terms of these four names, the, or the big five, I should say, uh, they're concentrated in the low minors, which, you know, it, that doesn't necessarily guarantee future success. Plenty of A-ballers flame out. Things don't work out. So... You know, that's something that I'm thinking about when I look at this list. Like, this is great, but we're also banking on five players both making the system, making it through the system, and, and kind of carrying the flag the whole way. Um, that's, that's not necessarily the sign of a healthy system. You shouldn't overlook the fact that what, what Zaid set out to do last winter, which was create more depth, has made a big impact on the Sacramento team, which you know, isn't reflected in these rankings, really, because most of the players in Sacramento are not, you know, uh, not not sort of prospect eligible or whatever, however you want to define that. And yet we've seen that, one, the Sacramento team isn't like the worst in the PCL, which is what it's been for many, many years. They're actually competitive, and that competitiveness is translating to helping the big club because they keep bringing people up who, you know, perform and produce well. So that's sort of like a second tier thing that's going on at the same time while they're adding these like real exciting young prospects at the lower levels the top level is getting some some real legitimate sort of major league depth that's that's you know helping the overall organization yeah right the river cats are having a great year like maybe their best year ever you know as a, as a giants affiliate. affiliate right they used to win all the time as an a's affiliate but yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'm sure the good folks of Sacramento are happy about that, too. It's not just them, either. Uh, Augusta is in first place. Uh, Salem-Kaiser already won their first half title. The AZL team won their first half title. Um, so the last two or three years, this has been like the losingest top-to-bottom organization, or one of the two or three losingest organizations in all of baseball, and that has really turned around this year, and I think that is in, indicative of, of a talent level. Okay, obviously Hunter Bishop grabbed a lot of attention, and the rest of the Giants 2019 drafted too, but you know, going back to last year, 
uh, something to keep in mind, you know, this whole new re-ranking and reconsideration of the farm system isn't born on just what's happened this year. Uh, you know, they kind of emerged the team from this like post Lucius Fox era in terms of international signings. And, and they, they grabbed some big name players last year and this year. Um, that's not something I'd ever think we'd be saying about the giants, but here we are. Yeah. So last year, the, the giants really waded into that uh, J2 international market. And so we talk a lot about Luciano uh, who they signed for 2.6 million. And he was, uh, other than a, um, a Cuban who sort of was a late guy to the market, a little older, he was the highest-ranked 16-year-old on the market. So they they got like that top guy. But Pomares and Matos were both also in the sort of they were in the top 25 of Ben Badler's ranking, which is you know pretty good place to go. So Pomares they signed for 1.1 million, Matos for. Uh, 800,000, 750,000, something like that. So both of those guys were also considered top-of-the-market players. Uh, so they really went big money signings last year. And it is making a difference. You know, all three of those guys have really hit the ground running this year. Um, I mean, Pomaros is hitting like 450. Or, Pomaros, I think I just wrote this on Twitter today, has more four-hit games as a pro than no hit games. Uh, he only has w- one game that he has played as a pro so far in which he's failed to get a hit out of uh, like 34 or something like that. Uh, and he's a, he's older. So he was a Cuban refugee. He's 18 as opposed to 17 uh, had performed in the Cuban national 15 and under league really, really well. Uh, but like all Cubans. And then there's this, this big gap right during when, they they have to escape the island and then do through the the citizenship and there's a whole long process. So he comes with really good training because he was in the Cuban National League, but then he's also kind of not played for a couple of years. So then you don't know what's going to happen. But he is really really hit uh, in the, in the AZL. Matos they did not bring stateside, so they left him down in the Dominican Southern League. But he just. Le- Every single day, and so if people who read minor lines know that it's like I don't know what to say about him anymore because every day he has between two and four hits with at least one extra base hit. Um, so he's a level behind. He's seventeen. He, you know, he's not. He didn't quite have a, like Luciano's body, right? He's, um, but he really hit. So he's another guy to watch out for. And it was really exciting on the, when baseball America did the top 30 list that they pushed all three of those guys up into like the top 10. I think Pomaris was 10 and Matos was 11. So, you know, that's indicative indicative of the, the system getting better that these young guys with talent are kind of pushing the old, the people who used to be on the top kind of down. Okay. So the giants have put together winning clubs at every level. And their prospects are actually prospects who would be desired by every other team: Ramos, Bart, Luciano, and Bishop. And then yeah, it's those four in Canario. That I think that's really the top five. And we talk about all four, five of those guys a lot. I guess I so I guess not quite that high, but um, in just behind them, the guys who maybe we haven't talked about for some obvious reasons would be like Logan Webb. Um, 
Gregory Santos, Seth Corey, that group probably, and maybe Sean Jelly. So that group of pitchers are probably the ones that we haven't talked about all that much. Logan Webb for the obvious reason that he's not been around for most of the year. Um, and Santos too, actually. In terms of Bishop, you know, he's just starting out, uh, showing a lot of uh, the plate discipline that we were that we were led to believe he had. He's only hit two home runs. That's not a big deal, um, but he's you know he's showing up. He's he's there. He's made his debut. It's not important how he does. It's just important that he's there and playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's he's basically he's on the field. He's getting back in the game speed. He's. Uh, He's 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 debuting. He and debuts go weird ways too. So, like Alex Baum last year hit like two twenty or something in his debut, and all the Phillies fans were like, "Oh my God, what's we?" And you know, no, no, nothing's wrong. Okay, you got those guys, and there's also Connor Menez. Uh, don't forget about him. I didn't. Uh, he had a great debut. Five innings, gave up just two runs, which were the two home runs, big home runs to the Mets. But he struck out six and he walked just two. Uh, he looked sharp. Dude looked good. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I'm being gratuitous here, but maybe a, a, he kind of looked like a guy who could stick a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I guess you always wonder when a guy sort of comes from off the radar like that. You wonder is it going to translate to the highest level? Because uh, he's had huge strikeout numbers the last two years. He's he's not led the system in strikeouts. He's I, I I think one of the top like three strikeout people who has been in all minor leagues the last two three years. Um, and the the you know the numbers are dropping. Well, guess what you hear this year is that he gets a lot of extension, which is causing a a perceived velocity boost for him. But you do wonder that it's like okay, is this going to translate when he faces? minor league or major league hitters because it doesn't always there are some people who have the big numbers in the minors but then they come up and and the, the stuff isn't quite sharp enough for a major league hitter so to see him particularly after the two big home runs uh, um kind of come back and start getting swing and misses from really good hitters that was really good um so then you say yeah he can do this maybe he can do this I said when he came up that, I mean, this is a guy from a very, 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 very small college uh, that uh, I had actually never heard of before he and a couple other people were drafted out of it, even though it's in Santa Clarita, where one of my brothers lives. I've been there. It's a remote campus in, uh, it's it's like in a hill. It's it's a very sleepy campus. It used to have a different name, and I, I can't remember what it was. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah, 14th round college and i think there's one other um but he drafted in the first round of his draft there's like six people from the first round of that draft who made it to the majors before him which is incredible i have to give props to connor penfold you know one-time contributor to mccovey chronicles who now works for sacramento i remember watching menez with him at spring training two or three years ago and he was like did you see this guy he's great stuff and i'm like Connor has always flown the Connor Menez flag, and and I, I props to him because he was right. Uh, Roger, Roger, it's because his name is Connor. Yeah, it's, clear, yeah. it's a name bias. Yeah, but good for him, and I know he went to the game and and saw his debut, and um, that's that's just amazing to me. Uh, 
So sometimes people say, why do you bother like writing about these people who aren't the stud prospects in minor lines? And, you know, Connor Menez is one of those, one of, one of the answers to that, right? You know, you know, partly it's because I really respect what all those people do who aren't going to make the majors. But the other thing is sometimes you just don't know because it's not a science. That makes sense. Along those same lines, another quasi standout seems to be Gregory Santos. What can you tell us about this 19-year-old right-hander who's in Augusta right now? Well, so Gregory Santos is the second guy who came from the Red Sox in the Eduardo Nunez deal. Uh, and he was, at the time of that deal, a seven-year-old in the Dominican Soviet. He pretty quickly, once he came over here, started popping up the giant list because you know, he's a teenager who throws really, really hard and has a crazy, crazy breaking ball and scouts love his athleticism. So he was in the Sally this year. He's it's basically he's one of those guys who's right now scouts love him. The the numbers don't necessarily pop, but he's got great stuff. And he picks up a lot of ground balls. A lot of ground balls and he has swing and miss stuff. So he seems like he guy who could develop into a monster although there's you know control some control issues in him but what's a little worrying about him this year is he missed about two months early on with shoulder soreness and then he came back and pitched through july and just went on the il again with apparently the same complaint so that's something to kind of keep an eye out on uh, but he's one of the small group of people who on just sort of pure stuff has the uh, this be a, a mid rotation sort of starter and sort of basically him, Logan Webb and Seth Corey are sort of the, that group. You say they're a long way away, but you can see the stuff there. Um, and Santos is the youngest of those because he's nineteen. So you want to see him healthy at some point <laughs> this year, and he may be gone the year at this point because um, he just went on the IL. But hopefully next year he'll be 20 and he should be at San Jose. You want to see him healthy and that the stuff's still there and he can start developing. He's just a really, really exciting arm who's right now still kind of raw material. Now, Fangraphs gives Santos a future value of 45, which means that they project him based on their current scouting info to be a major league caliber player, which officially they describe as, quote, a low-end regular or platoon player. That's good. If you're listening and you're not quite understanding what future values mean or what these numbers are, a scout looking at a 19 to 22 year old and saying that guy has the talent to, I see him being on a major league roster someday. That's great. Uh, and that's just in the case of Santos, that's based on a 19 year old pitcher, uh, who's, who's not played consistently. Um, 19, by the way, is the number of, Giants prospects on that Fangraphs ranking who all have current future values of 40. Again, 40 is the equivalent of like a bench player. 45 is better, obviously. 40, but 40 is like the minimum threshold of like this guy is going to make it, uh, could make it based on what I'm seeing right now. And that's it's the equivalent of a bench player. Um, so there's 19 other guys in the Giants system right now ranked with that. And along with Santos, you've got Bart, Luciano, Ramos, Bishop, and Canario who have 45s or higher. So you got six guys who are projected to be better than just bench players. And then you've got 19, so you got 25 total players in the Giants system right now 
who project potentially to be major league players. That's exciting, man. That is exciting. It is, and the other thing, the other thing about that is particularly for the younger players, they tend to grade really conservatively. Like, right? They don't look at every you know Alex Canario and say seventy. This guy's a future Hall of Famer because you you look dumb when you do that uh, most of the time. So as players get older and better and closer to whatever their future is, those grades go up for for the people who end up making the majors. So now we have to wonder just what the new front office has done to transform this system. And it kind of it, it kind of feels like they did it overnight, but that's not really yeah, the just, case. Farns I didn't right. just open up a utility closet uh, at at Oracle Park and, and found a bunch of guys that Bobby Evans and and Brian Sabian had just left there because they didn't feel like they were going to get use out of them. Uh, the Giants already had a lot of these guys under contract. They're already in the system. Uh, you can't really draw or make neat lines or piles between Bobby's guys and Farhan's guys. Well, I mean, I guess you can because all the players that Farhan signed and drafted this year, those those would be his guys. But the point is, like, you've got players flourishing, uh, adjusting, improving. You've got the system as a whole just doing better with a lot of the same names uh, as as what was there last year. Just different people managing the organization not not a wholly different w-h-o-l-l-y different organization but you know it's it's a it's a it's a hybrid of of the new regime and the old um and I, i'm just thinking that it, it's really impressive and and we don't really we're not really going to know what the what the impact of one or the other was on them but it seems like you know, Farhan Zaidi and his team have really done something in in their approach to improve the talent that was already on hand. I agree with what you were saying, that you can't make neat lines between old and new because so many of the same players are, are still there, right? They still have a lot of the same development people. They still have a lot of the same scouts. They still have, you know, the international scouting directors the same. There's a lot of the same people. So are they bringing tweaks? Are they bringing nuances? Is there like Rapsodo information that's being used or, or explained to players in interesting ways? But yes, very clear this year is that they have expressed to players that controlling the strike zone is a essential path to success in this organization that there have been a lot of free swingers in the giants organization top to bottom for many years and just think you can't it's not accident that lots of people are showing improvement this year and i think it's because you know there was some come to Jesus with some people saying, you don't move in this organization unless you improve at this thing. And then I think that they are really looking at, with all the new data that's available to them, sort of quality contact probably is going to play a big part in, in developing people. I think it's always true that when a new regime comes in, they're going to be able to take credit on the successes that the old regime left behind, right? I mean, there's a big thing that's going on right now is that Luciano and Pomares and Matos were signed and ready to go last year. Um, you know, just like part of part of why Jeff Luno is a genius is because he took over a team that had, you know, Altuve and Springer and Keiko 
you know, in the system, right? That helps. That helps when you walk in and there are already great players sitting there ready to blossom. Yeah, and as excited as I am, as, as excited as I'm sure we all are about the recent developments, uh, I mean, we're talking about guys who are still a long ways off from Absolutely. Like I said, there there's a bunch of guys who are 19, 22 years old, like, who knows what the future holds? Plenty of A-ball players flame out. There's no, like, Vlad Guerrero Jr. in this bunch. Uh, you know, but as long as they keep going with their steady development, the projections could work out. I, I, you know, this is what we're learning this year is that incremental improvement matters. I, I, I think that's a huge takeaway from the entire organization this year. All right, Roger. I've chewed up enough of your time. Follow Roger on Twitter at Raj61, R-O-G-6-1, and read him on Minor Lines, which you can find every morning on the Covey Chronicles. Roger, any final thoughts? Oh, Canaria just almost hit a home run. That's, that's my closing thought. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode of the Untitled Prospect Podcast with Roger, and we'll be joined by a special guest whom we'll announce soon. In the meantime, uh, you don't have to wait for our guest. You can submit your questions, uh, players you'd like us to talk about, angles uh, that you'd like us to consider. You can leave it in the comments below. You can at McCoveyCron or the McCoveyCronCast podcast channels account at MCCronCast. And don't forget to listen to the new episodes that came out this week for MCC Happy Hour with Sammy Higgins and Brady Klopfer. And also we had a new McCovey Croncast uh, that went out last night that covers the trade deadline, the, the five trades the Giants made. That's Doug and I talking that over. And I also did like uh, a little bit of a historical research on foreign anxiety to try to see if public comments he's made in the past can help us determine the Giants' future. And I think it turned out pretty well. So check those both out. Uh, Sammy's MCC Happy Hour is, of course, the flagship show of our channel now. It's excellent every week. You should not be missing it. Uh, But check out both those shows. Get excited for the next episode of the Untitled Prospect Podcast. Thanks for listening.